We are in our last sermon series on prayer, going through the Lord's Prayer, and we've been learning how to pray, how Jesus teaches us to pray, and we've also been learning how Jesus prays for us. And we're in our last petition, which is, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And we've been going through this series on prayer because we want you to be praying more. And so here we're handling you. This is how to pray. Do this, you know, go through the Lord's Prayer. And as a friend of mine says, sprinkle your spice on top. Just, you know, go with it, add it. Um, So we've got the Lord's Prayer to teach us to pray and to teach us how Jesus prays for us. So today we're going to look at, we're going to keep it simple. We're going to look at two things. The schemes of the evil one and the prayers of our rescuer. Um, So let's jump in. So we've got, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So, you know, what's going on? So we're in Matthew 6. Now, just two chapters earlier uh, in Matthew 4, uh, right after Jesus has been baptized, right? So he's baptized, the Holy Spirit comes down on him, and God declares his blessing, you are my son, whom I love, with whom I'm pleased. And then Matthew 4, 1 says, The Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Right? So Jesus is saying, this is what I went through, and now I'm telling you to pray. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And uh, in James, James 1 tells us that God does lead us through temptations, through trials. And James says this. He said, blessed is the man who remain steadfast under trial, okay? And he says, but when you're going through trial, you don't say God is tempting me. He says, you're not being tempted by God. He says, but you're being tempted when you give into your own desire. And so you might be wondering, you know, is it the evil one? Is it my own desire? You know, there's an old Puritan who put it this way. The main way Satan tempts is he shows you the bait and he hides the hook. So our own desire goes for the bait And so we fall, but we're tempted by the evil one. Okay, so how does does the evil one tempt? What does he do? What does he want? Well, he wants pretty much one thing. He wants destruction and death and chaos. And so he goes about it. His his, sort of his main only uh, strategy he has is lies. And he uses those lies to produce fear, to produce guilt and shame, or to produce pride in us, but always rooted in lies. He lies, and he distorts, and he deceives, and he destroys what God has said, what God has made, all the good things that God has given us. He destroys because he wants death. And so if we're, we want to know what are those lies he tells us, we can actually see both by looking at how Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, right, in Matthew 4, um, and actually he just tells us the opposite of what God tells us. And so if we look, if we go through the Lord's Prayer and look and say, what does Jesus tell us about God? So Jesus tells us first, God is your father, which means You are his child. You are his beloved son or daughter. And he loves you unconditionally. So that's God's word for you. But what does Satan say? He says, God's not your father. You're not his child. He does not love you unconditionally. You got to earn it. And so 
How does he tempt Jesus in the desert? He says to Jesus, he says, are you really who God says you are? Right? If you're really God's son, why don't you throw yourself down from this cliff and see if he'll, if he'll, if he'll save you? He questions or he tempts Jesus to question his identity. And uh, so he, he, and actually, another point, Satan, he knows how to quote scripture. He also knows where to stop. So he quotes from Psalm 91 and he says to Jesus, hey, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. But then he stops there because the very next verse of Psalm 91 is, you will tread on the lion and the adder. The, lung, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. And of course, Jesus knew that was the next line. So he, tell, he gives Satan the business. He says, mm-mm, I'm not giving in. So Jesus says, God is your father. You is his child. Satan says, you can't trust him to love you unconditionally. Second, Jesus says, go to God as your king. God is your king. He is a good king. And we desire his kingdom to be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we want. His sovereign rule. We want his justice. And Satan tempts us saying, you should be king. You should be in charge. You should be the one deciding what is good and what is bad. What is just and what is unjust. And part of what Satan wants us to do is to see ambiguity when there's clarity. So, for example, you know, we might see a, a clear-cut case of, of somebody did evil. And what God wants us to hold together is this is definitely evil, but there is definitely forgiveness and mercy and grace available in the gospel. But Satan wants us to say, oh, it's complex. Who can really say what's right and wrong here? Or maybe he wants us to ask different questions from, is this what God wants? Is this what God designs? Is this right or wrong? Instead, he wants us to ask, is this healthy or does this make me feel good, right? Because if Satan can get you to think, oh, this is a question of health or happiness, not right and wrong and morality, then he's got you. And so how does he tempt Jesus, right? He says to Jesus, look at all the kingdoms of the world. You, you know, you're supposed to do it God's way. But you know what? Why don't you just get them for yourself? Do them your way. Do them my way. Bow down to me and I'll give them all to you. And you don't have to go through the pain of the cross. You don't have to do all that. You know, you can have them. You can be king. That's the temptation. Third, Jesus tells us that God is our provider. He says, go to him day to day for provision. And Satan says, you can't count on God to provide. You need to be the one to take charge. Hoard, be greedy, watch out for yourself. And that's why he tempts Jesus in the wilderness. He says, you're hungry. You can't count on God to provide for you, to sustain you. Turn these rocks to bread. And the fourth thing Jesus tells us is that God is our forgiver. He says, go to God for forgiveness. Now, Jesus never sinned, so Satan doesn't have any dirt on him. So he can't tempt him with this and say, you know, uh, God won't forgive you. But he's got dirt on us. And so Satan can say to us, he tempts us saying, God won't forgive you. What you did, you are too degraded. 
there's no forgiveness for you. There's too much shame. And he says, you know what? You better not tell anybody. Don't let them know. Those are the lies that Satan tells to breed fear, disgust, shame, and guilt. Or maybe he tells you, you don't need forgiveness. What you did is fine. Why don't you flaunt it, actually? He, gives, he breeds pride in us. So those are his schemes. So what does evil look like in the world? What is he trying to, to, to cause? Well, one of, his, one of the, the great uh, strategies of Satan is addiction. And the reason the addiction works so well is because, you know, you get this high. And after the high comes down, once you crash, you feel like garbage. And then you start to think, maybe I am garbage. And if I am garbage, maybe I should just do what garbage does. And so you go back to the bottle. You go back to the abusive boyfriend. You go back to your computer screen because you say, you know what? I feel like garbage and I am garbage. I might as well just keep being garbage. And then you think, oh, it's my fault. It's my fault he hit me this time. It's not your fault. That's a lie that he's telling you. That's one thing evil looks like in this world. The other thing, um, he uses depression. You know, we just found out a really dear friend of ours, after she had kids, she had really horrible postpartum depression and parenting was just hard. And she, she, we found out just this week, she had made plans to hang herself. Because the lie she started to believe was, you're a failure. You don't deserve to be here. And the world would be a better place with, if you weren't here. That's the lie. And I promise you, if you ever have that thought, it is not God speaking to you. That is not the voice of our Savior. Or evil looks like the thousands of black men and women who were lynched in the years, in the hundred years after the Civil War. And uh, I won't go into details, but, you know, adults in the room go, you can hit pause right now. Look up what happened to Mary Turner because it's, it's horrific. And Satan wants us to see that and say, you know what? Uh, you know, well, yeah, that's bad, but that's in the past. I, we don't need to worry about that because that happened in another state, another time. We don't need to worry about that anymore. And so Satan doesn't want us to see us the connection when just in February, a black man named Ahmaud Arbery is running, going for a run, out for a jog, and two white men see him go by and they say, he looks like a burglar. He looks like he might have robbed a store just based on we see him running. And so they go and they grab their guns because they think we should be prepared to kill him because he might be a burglar. And then when they go after him and start a fight and shoot him and he dies, the police department doesn't do anything about it. And it's only months later when more evidence comes out and people realize what's happened, that these men are now being charged for murder. And Satan wants us to look at that and say, these aren't connected. They're just two bad apples and it's just you know, one bad police officer who made a bad choice and, uh, and that has nothing to do with the hundreds of people in Georgia who had been killed. And Satan wants you right now maybe to say, hey, Greg, why are you getting so political? But here's the thing. 
There's no ambiguity here. This isn't an issue of politics. God wants us to look at the blood of innocent men and innocent women and to cry out for justice. Because when we see the work of the enemy, when we see evil in this world, what we need is a rescuer. We don't need to be equipped. We don't need to work harder. What we need is somebody to rescue us. We need the blood of Jesus to cry out a better word than the blood of Abel. And that's what Jesus tells us to pray here. He says, deliver us from the evil one. And that word deliver means to rescue and to bring to oneself. And that's what Jesus does for us. And so let's look at how does Jesus pray for us? How does our rescuer pray for us? So I want to look at what's, you know, probably the, the best example of this in scripture. In Luke 22, it's the, the Last Supper. And right, the breaking of the bread, the pouring of the cup. And Jesus is telling his disciples that God has prepared a kingdom for them. And then he turns and he says, Simon, Simon, Satan demanded to have you, plural, to have y'all, to sift y'all like wheat. But I have prayed for you, Peter, that your faith would not fail. And when you turn again, strengthen your brothers. And Peter says, Jesus, don't you know me? I am ready to go to prison. I am ready to die for you tonight. It's like, Jesus, I'm not going what to, what are you talking about? And Jesus says, no, Peter, tonight you will deny me three times. And let me tell you, you're not stronger than Peter, right? Peter, the first one who looks at Jesus and says, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ. Peter, the one who, when everybody was, was leaving and, and Jesus said, what are you going to do? And he said, where else will we go? You, Jesus, have the words of eternal life. Jesus, uh, Peter, who spent three years, he gave up everything to follow Jesus, to walk with Jesus, and even said, Jesus, we've given up everything. And Jesus said, I know. Peter, right, you're not stronger than him. But then that night, as Jesus is being lynched, right, falsely accused, beaten, getting sent to his death, they ask him, hey, you, you know him, right? And he said, I don't, I don't know him. And when a little girl, a little girl, a little girl comes to him and says, hey, your, your accent, you must be from the same place as him. You must know him. Peter calls down curses on himself. And he says, I swear to God, I never knew the man. And then he catches uh, the eyes of Jesus and he breaks down and he weeps. Because he betrayed his king. And friends, <laughs> we betray our king daily, when we disobey him, when, when our hearts don't break for the things that his heart breaks for, when we fail to love him, to fail to love our neighbors, and we rarely weep. So where did the temptation come in? Because Jesus said, I'm going to pray for you that your faith will not fail and you're going to deny me. So Jesus isn't surprised at this point. 
Where does the temptation come in? The temptation comes in now. You know, when, when Judas realized what he did, he went and hanged himself. And now, Peter's betrayed his king. Now is when Satan is going to tempt him and say, you're a disgrace. You, you betrayed your king. You deserve to die. You don't deserve anything from him. He'll never forgive you. But do you know what the words of our Savior were to him? A few days later, he said, Peter, look at my hands and my feet. Peter, do you love me? Because I love you. I forgive you, Peter. Feed my lambs. I love you, Peter. I, I defeated the enemy for you, Peter. I disarmed him. You betrayed me, but I love you. I forgive you. I love you, Peter. Those are his words for us. And if you know that God is your father, your good king, your provider, your forgiver, your rescuer, then like Peter, you can follow Jesus wherever he leads you. If you want to survive in temptations, follow Jesus where he leads us and he has rescued you. And he will rescue you and cry out to him. Amen.